It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I'm here with the spiritual director and founder of Center for Spiritual Awareness. Uh, Roy Jean Davis is a student, studied with directly Paramahansa Yogananda. And he's been my sole source of Kriya Yoga instruction and guidance for the past 16 years. So, thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Ryan. We've got some questions for you. All right. Um, so, the first thing is, how were you introduced to Kriya Yoga? I, of course, uh, was introduced, as many people have been over the years, by reading Paramahansa Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, when I was 18 years of age. Two years before that, I was fortunate to read two books that explain the Raja Yoga philosophy. And so I was intrigued by the possibility that here was a way to acquire self-knowledge by um, one's personal endeavors and right endeavors. And then when I read Yogananda's book and when I was 18, I resolved to go to California to meet him. I grew up in Ohio. And so I did. That was in 1949. And I met him two days before Christmas in 1949. And two days later, I had a private talk with him. He accepted me for training, and I was a, a member of the monastic community of Self-Realization Fellowship for four years after that. And a little over two years after we met, he ordained me. And I was the minister for two years at a small Self-Realization Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Excellent. So that was my beginning. All right. Well, what were your experiences like typically with Paramahansa Yogananda when you'd spend time Whenever with him? Whenever I was with him, I felt a, a sense of omnipresence. I was aware of omnipresence and a, a deep inner strength, the spiritual power. Although outwardly, in his demeanor and relationship with people, on a private basis, he was very quiet and, and very reserved. But you could feel that presence that, that, or his consciousness, you just feel it. And uh, I was with him only about two months at the Los Angeles SRF headquarters until he sent me over to Phoenix, Arizona to help out with the branch center there. But he told me to come back to see him every 60 days, which I did for the next two years. Went back to California, wherever he was, and to spend time with him. And uh, I would spend two or three days and then see him privately, then go back to Phoenix and continue my sadhana or my spiritual practice. I was very intentional at that time, and uh, being a monastic and living in a secluded uh, environment, I uh, devoted my, my energies and my attention to my spiritual practices. And for three years during that phase, I meditated every morning for four hours from three to seven and for about two hours in the evening, mainly because I wanted the experience of doing it and see, see how it was to do it. And it, for me, it, worked, it was very beneficial. Uh, my personality is such that I naturally tend to be introverted, so the monastic vocation was ideal for me. 
So after uh, four years with the Sorcerization Fellowship, after Yogananda's passing, then I withdrew from the monastic vocation. And I was in the army for two years in the medical corps. And then in 1956, began traveling and lecturing. Mm -hmm. And have been doing that ever since. Mm -hmm. In fact, more recently, I, now that I'm 85 years old, I, physically, I slowed down somewhat of my travels. Mm -hmm. But we still have our international outreach, and uh, I still go to Europe every two years, mm -hmm. and we have our publications and so on. So what, to go back a little bit, whenever I went to see Paramahansa Yogananda for those private visits, I never went with any pressing questions. I went for his darshan, you know, the Sanskrit word darshan means to see and be seen. By divinity, and uh, to see divinity, to be seen by divinity. So I went just to be in his presence, mm -hmm. and I found, for me, that was the most beneficial experience that I could have, just to be with him, mm -hmm. and to absorb his consciousness and his energy. Of course, he always said worthwhile things, but then I knew the philosophical principles already, and I was engaged in my spiritual practices, but just to be in his presence, uh, it was uh, an uplifting, uh, uplifting experience. Right. Well, I'm sure you could share quite a few stories, but you've all got that covered in your book, Paramahansa Yogananda, as I knew him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so good. Um, well, Yogananda came from a tradition where it was important to have a continuing teacher-student relationship. However, some say that Yogananda is the last, uh, the last true Kriya teacher. That has confused many people. Yeah. Uh, the lineage, of course, from Guru Disciple goes on and has gone on for decades from Lahiri Mahashaya and Sri Teswar, the gurus prior to Yogananda, and many of the lineage of, lineages of teachers that have, that have gone on generation after generation are not involved with organization at all. But when Yogananda passed in 1952, uh, he didn't have anyone that he could appoint as his guru successor at the head of the organization. He had privately initiated me and several other disciples and given us permission to, to teach and to initiate. So through us, the tradition has continued to pass on. But uh, self-realization fellowship, not having a uh, guru figure at the, in their organization, but only a president and spiritual representative, and they have done very well, uh, issued a policy statement and said that Paramahansa Yogananda was the last in the line of SRF gurus. And notice the wording, mm -hmm. the last in the line of SRF gurus. In other words, the organization would not, would not recognize any other guru or teacher at the head of the organization in the lineage of Yogananda, but that his teachings would be the guru. Mm -hmm. Well, the teachings can't be the guru, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, as good as they, as as good as the teachings are. But of course, the organization does have many ministers and uh, men and women ministers who are well trained to go out and lecture and could teach classes. So the teaching goes on, but the uh, guru guru transmission from dis guru to disciple, teacher to disciple continues privately mm -hmm. and doesn't have to be related to an organization or a corporate body. Right. Okay. All right. Um, when your experience, the long years practicing Kriya Yoga, 
Um, what would you say would be the most important quality a meditator can have to encourage full self-realization? Well, there are probably several uh, characteristics that are helpful. One is to be very intentional and to aspire to be fully awake and then to be willing to be disciplined in practice to stay with it. And uh, so many people, they start off with uh, good intentions and high resolve, but they soon become distracted or they or they, they get become moody and so forth. But uh, mainly, I, I think it's important to always have that ideal before us of being completely spiritually awake. And not to think of it as an attainment or an accomplishment, but an awakening to the realization of what we already are. And uh, not to give up on that, even there, there in the occasions when it seems like we're not making progress. Uh, but, to, but to go forward with the right positive attitude. That's one thing that Paramahansa Yogananda advised for me over and over again. He used to say, you have to go all the way, meaning you have to wake up completely in this incarnation and you can do it. And that's how he encouraged me. Mm-hmm. And of course, I believed that from the very beginning, even before I met him. When I was in high school, I was reading books on world religions and uh, different philosophical views. And when I read about the possibility of enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment, I thought, yes, uh, I, I can respond to that. That sounds uh, real to me. I can believe that to be true for me. So I had no problem having that aspiration and that conviction that it was possible. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't leave any room for uh, feeble discussion about it takes incarnations to get there. And uh, if you got bad karma, you can't make it. And if your astrological uh, situation <laughs> isn't ideal, you're doomed. So I don't buy into that at all. That uh, all, the, all the enlightened teachers I know have always said the possibility for awakening is any moment. It can be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we emphasize the way of introspective meditation in the Korea tradition, but uh, there's always a possibility of instantaneous enlightenment, even without introspective meditation. Mm-hmm. We can simply be, just wake up mm-hmm. and just be there. Uh, Kriya Yoga, as you know, it's not a separate yoga. There are the classical yogas, Hatha Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga, Raja Yoga, and so forth. Kriya simply means action or process. Uh, yoga, the precise definition, is bringing together of attention and awareness with our essence of being. Uh, sometimes simplistically you read definitions of yoga as union with God and so forth. But really, the definition is very similar to that of the word samadhi, bringing together the attention and awareness with our essence of being, the result is realization. Realization, direct experience, and knowledge of what we are. And uh, that is the culmination of right yogic practice. Today I'm sure you know that there's, it's been estimated by polls that have been taken that there are probably 30 million people in America practicing some form of yoga but most of them, 99% probably, are practicing Hatha Yoga for physical physical benefit, which is all right, it's of value. But even the few yoga magazines that used to be somewhat worthwhile have all now become glamorized, and all the ads are on 
and uh, clothing and mats and cosmetics and so on. So they, but behind the scenes, uh, or this side of that, there is still authentic yoga, uh, yoga, yoga practice that can, that can be learned and uh, applied. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the idea is that having the capacity that it is possible to see it, right. to experience it, and then also to follow up with the dedication to stick with it right. until it's done. Right. Right. And in the Kriya Yoga tradition, we say, as I mentioned earlier, this uh, socialization is, is not an attainment or accomplishment, but the processes, the, the, the practices, uh, cultivation of compassion, disciplined behavior, disciplined thinking, uh, meditation practice, and so on, these remove what Patanjali referred to in his in his text, the Yoga Sutras, these weaken and remove what he called the afflictions mm-hmm. or the conditions that inhibit uh, our soul expression and interfere with our attempts to be self-knowing. Mm-hmm. So we, get, we weaken and get rid of these afflictions and then we cultivate self-realization. And this is the simply the path of Kriya Yoga. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you hear the term Kriya Yoga and it sounds all very exotic. But it's nothing more than the a practical living and practical action right. of the right kind. Right. And uh, which is basic to all Enlightenment traditions and authentic religious traditions. Uh, Patanjali defined Kriya Yoga in the second uh, chapter of his treatise as austerity, self-study, and surrender of the illusional sense of self in order to apprehend and realize the uh, ultimate reality. Um, this is it. To remove the afflictions of the troublesome conditions and to cultivate samadhi or realization of the true nature. This is basically Kriya Yoga practice. Now many people, after having read Yogananda's book, mistakenly think that Kriya Yoga is only a meditation technique uh, because in his book he devoted a chapter to Kriya Yoga practice and he emphasized the meditation technique. But uh, so I, I frequently get uh, emails from people different parts of the world asking if I will teach them Kriya Yoga and when I point out what total practice, complete practice of Kriya Yoga is, they're sort of surprised mm-hmm. because they think it's only a meditation technique, the pranayama circulating the current through the chakras, but it's much more than that, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. So with that, you know, when you've worked with a lot of people, you met thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people, um, what do you find most often gets in the way of a person on the path? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One is their tendency to remain identified with their small sense of self, uh, their modified states of consciousness, mind and consciousness, and their uh, tendency to be forgetful of their true nature and to f- forget, really, to think about the relationship with the infinite. Mm-hmm. In other words, they stay, they stay caught up in their little small provincial mental attitudes and states of consciousness, and they don't expand beyond that mm-hmm. very easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, human, well, partly it's part of association with others who do the same thing, and... Uh, Habit, well, I suppose. 
But if we get, if we, if we can get past that problem, get solve that problem of self and self and God forgetfulness. When I use the word God, I refer to an ultimate reality, not a personality. But uh, if we can solve that problem of self and constant self and God forgetfulness, and cultivate self knowing and our awareness with this as being a unit of the pure essence of this ultimate reality, if we can remember that that is true of us, that can be very helpful. Um, so a lot of people ask me questions about religion in Kriya Yoga, mm -hmm. like overlaying different beliefs. Uh, do you find that that's useful at all, necessary, or when you think about religion in Kriya Yoga? How's it that? can be useful for those who need religion, who need uh, the structure uh, and the rhythms of ritual practice, perhaps. It can also be a, a, a barrier to, or a blockage, because if a person is holding on to false ideas, false concepts of uh, about what God is, ultimate reality is, and what is necessary to to be spiritually awake or liberated or be, have so-called salvation, if they're holding on to traditional, uh, really wrong beliefs, uh, this can be a limitation. Uh, delusions. The uh, false beliefs and illusions are two of the main uh, modifying influences that interfere with self-realization. Mm -hmm. So if a person can, uh, if, if they're a good Catholic or a good Muslim or a good Buddhist, that is, if they, if they practice according to the tradition and it, and it helps them to be focused and calm and, and uh, compassionate and deliver right, it's all right. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not necessary to be religious to be a yogi. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly not necessary to belong to a certain religious tradition. Right. So, so religion is more helpful just to keep you um, happy and functioning in the world well. To keep you happy and functional if you, if you like to have a religious, okay. religious affiliation. Okay, excellent, excellent. Um, so one other, or a few other questions here, but one in particular... Just spending time here at CSA in the past, uh, it seems to me you have a great respect for Ramana Maharshi, mm. the idea of self-inquiry. Uh, it seems that that's spoken of in the Kriya Yoga, the sutras, Yoga Sutras and whatnot. Um, in your mind, where does that fit, Vichara and self-inquiry and Ramana Maharshi's ideas? Does it go along with it? Or? Well, of course. Uh, early on in the first uh, section of the Yoga Sutra, there is brief reference to the to one way to self-realization is through discriminated knowledge, uh, you cut away everything that you are not to get to what you are, and uh, so in the Ramana uh, Maharshi's tradition, according to the publicity, he often emphasized self-inquiry. What am I? Uh, he might have said, "Who am I?" But I, I like, "What am I?" We were a what and not a who. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> And we get down into, I'm not the personality, I'm not the characteristics of the personality, I'm not this small sense of self, I'm not what people, who, I'm not what people think I am. Uh, it's eventually we get down to, I am the observer, the witness, I am changeless, pure consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so this goes right along with, uh, this is emphasized in Kriya Yoga practice by Kriya Yoga Gurus who are reasonably alert. 
Uh, I remember I was impressed by Ramana Maharshi when I first was exposed to his, uh, to him, and the in the book by Paul Brunton, A Search in Secret India, which I read when I was in high school. I obtained it from a county library. Then in 1950, about the time I had read Autobiography of a Yogi, someone uh, gave me a copy of Life magazine, and there was an article in there about Ramana Maharshi, and this is about a few months before his passing. And uh, they had this little picture, a full-page picture of him, a standard picture where he's looking out with his beautiful eyes. And I remember still how impressed I was with this person, who was obviously a pure, saintly being, because you could just see it in his, in his countenance. So I've always had great respect for Ramana Maharshi. Excellent. Um, so another question would be, you know, a lot of people get involved in spirituality and they sort of start trying to dress the part or take on new names and these sorts of things. Is that useful or does it help? You know, what are your thoughts on that, Manny? I suppose it can be helpful to some, especially in the monastic community, if they want to change their name, choose a name that represents the ideal they're endeavoring to actualize or have actualized. Uh... If they want to wear under their under their garment, they want to wear a string of a chop model or a string of beads or uh, an astrological bangle. <laughs> if it, it's all right, but it's not necessary. Okay. So we don't have to change our dramatically change our name and walk around acting super holy and pious in order to be if live effectively on the spiritual path because really it's an inner inner transformation, inner awakening process. Mm-hmm. Whatever we do outwardly that helps support our our intention and aspiration, that's it's all right. But uh, sometimes you see it gathering, you'll see people dramatizing that they are on a spiritual path with the way they the way they dress and the way they behave and the garments they wear. And it gets to be a little bit too much mm-hmm. for me. Right. So if it's inspiring, sure, but if it's dramatic and drawing attention to yourself, maybe not. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, one final question I have for you today. Um, thinking about Kriya Yoga in the future, as it's moving forward through the, the centuries, um, you know, what's your vision of Kriya Yoga? What's your vision of meditation in the future? Well, of course, meditation practice has, has become increasingly accepted worldwide. Mm-hmm. Today, as you know, there are millions of people practicing meditation who are not consciously on an enlightenment path, but they do it because they say, well, it makes them feel better, they function better, they concentrate more more, more efficiently. Um, many uh, executives and so forth, say business executives, say it helps them to keep their sanity, to stay focused, manage stress. Some doctors recommend it uh, for patients who are undergo undergo who are going to undergo a surgical procedure because mm-hmm. it reduces stress and they heal faster after the procedure, and uh, meditation is even now being taught in a lot of uh, uh, private schools for children. Mm-hmm. It is a short period of quiet time. They don't they don't teach it with any religious overtone. Uh, but the kriya yoga kriya yoga practices. That uh, I represent, I, I, that, that I teach as a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, I think they're suitable suitable for our times, and therefore we're going to see increasing interest uh, and participation in them. 
but as you know, out of the hundreds of people, even thousands who come to the study in the application of the procedures, they either misapply them, don't apply them with diligence, or they get to a certain stage of peacefulness and tranquility, and they think they've got it all, and they stop there. So this is this is always the big, the big challenge for people who are endeavoring to be teachers, uh, or gurus, or helpers. Uh, how do you keep people encouraged to stay alert and focused and on track, so they they can experience, uh, have the experience, awakening experiences they deserve to have? How do you do that? Uh, you mentioned earlier that I, I have, uh, over the years, interacted with many thousands of people all over the all over the world, and uh, of course many of them have passed on because many were older than me when I first met them many years ago. But out of the many thousands that I worked with in classes and initiated and so forth, only a small percentage have stayed with it, and uh, even fewer among them are really, really understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. But that's human nature. Mm -hmm. uh, I do what I do as a karma yogi, karma yoga, and I do it as duty. And uh, well, I like to see good results, positive results. If I don't see them immediately, I don't let it bother me. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to love and, and care and do, the, do our best to help and provides uh, assistance, but we, we we can't let ourselves be traumatized if our right endeavors, as we see them, are not uh, as productive as we would like to see them. Mm -hmm. We just uh, play our role. Yeah. So just keep moving forward and let it be what play, it is. Play our role, and you know, I think we're there's a some call it a higher power, but there is a there's an evolutionary trend uh, that is expressing through all of nature and in human consciousness, and I think it is responsible for the uh, increasing interest in spirituality, and eventually responsible for the enlightenment of souls. So mm -hmm. it will happen. Okay. I, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's the destiny of every every being. Uh, who is already at the core, pure and serene and whole and perfect, is the destiny of every being to eventually wake up. Mm -hmm. And uh, that awakening we call enlightenment. And with that awakening, we have knowledge, comprehension of the facts of life as, uh, as life is. So that's, that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, well... That's the conclusion of my question. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish for today? Can't think of anything. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think we've covered covered a lot, a lot of useful bases. Yeah. And uh, when I first had my first interview with Paramahansa Yogananda on Christmas Day, nineteen forty-nine, he when he told me I could stay there at the headquarters and. Uh, he would be one of his disciples after telling me how to fit into the root, work root, routine and how often to meditate and what to read. Uh, he concluded by saying, uh, read a little, meditate more, 
think of God all the time. And the last verbal instruction he gave me, a little over two years later, two years and three months later, uh, just sh shortly before he passed, I was visiting him. And we spent about an hour or so together privately. And his final words on that occasion were, were these. He said, don't allow your mind to be troubled by what others do or don't do. And don't look back and don't look to the left or to the right, you look straight ahead to the goal and go all the way in this incarnation and you can do it. And that was his last advice. That's how he talked with me. When I was with him, he didn't, he didn't discuss metaphysical theory and philosophical concepts or scripture of any kind, or salvation theories and so forth. It was always, you can wake up, you have the opportunity, do it now. Mm -hmm. So that's my advice. All right, excellent. Well, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for this opportunity. Take care. Would you like some tea? This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.